Welcome to Witchin' and Winin'. I am your resident wino, Crystal. Our resident witch will not be joining us this week. She has a lot on her plate as of late. She sold her home and she's been busy moving. She's also completing her master's degree and as many college students know, tis the time of exams. We missed our episode last week. The day we were going to record, Miranda found out her father had passed away. Please keep her in your thoughts and send all your good energy vibes her way as she grieves. This episode is packed full of interesting stories and information. We will be diving into the hauntings of people, places, and things. Part one, people. There are countless stories out there about haunted houses, but if you search the internet for haunted people, not many stories come up. Can people be haunted? Are there folks out there with multiple spirits attached to them? I believe that there are spirits everywhere and that some people are more open to the ghostly plane than others. Perhaps they have a psychic ability, or maybe they have a more powerful energy about them that draws spirits to them. I have so many stories to share, but first, let's talk a little bit about the idea of haunted people. Researchers James Huron and Brian Lath conducted a five-year research program, completing their research with 20 peer-reviewed research papers and their recent book, Ghosted. Haran and Laith say that people experiencing hauntings or ghost encounters may have haunted people syndrome. Those with haunted people syndrome are said to recurrently report supernatural encounters due to high anxiety levels. This uneasiness is, quote, contextualized by paranormal beliefs, end quote. In their case study of recognition patterns in haunted people syndrome, Laith says, quote, haunting phenomena are complex intertwined phenomena involving personality, ideology, culture, and previous experience towards making sense of an event or series of events deemed haunting. To sum it up, a person's background, beliefs, and personality are basically what make up the experiences believed to be supernatural and distress or unease make these experiences more likely. This makes me question if these supernatural experiences are just anxiety or our beliefs giving meaning to strange instances, then how is it that people can have these same experiences, such as seeing the same ghosts at the same time? Well, Haran and Laith have that covered. 
They say that, quote, anomalous experiences tend to be contagious, i.e. anomalous experiences can spread to others, end quote. I think I understand where they are going with this. I may be wrong, but I liken it to implanted thoughts. I imagine it being like this. Two people are reading quietly in a room. A screw on a shelf comes loose from the wall, tilting the shelf slightly forward. A book falls from the shelf. Person one says, holy crap, did you see that? That book flew off the shelf by itself. Person two starts to believe that they saw the book fly off and says, you're right, it totally flew off by itself. Bada bing, bada boom, you got a paranormal experience. I understand how easily that can happen. And it does happen. But not every experience can be explained away so easily. Things have been seen that were actually flying across rooms. Ghosts seen by multiple people at once, each giving separate but matching accounts, and so on. The haunted people syndrome theory is interesting, and I do think that they make good points. I think for many supernatural encounters, their theory works. However, I don't think it fits every situation. On the completely opposite end of the belief spectrum is Susan Z. Rich, an emotional addiction counselor, spiritual intuitive, and holistic therapist. On 7thSensePsychics.com, in an article, Why Spirits and Ghosts Attach Themselves to Certain People, Rich explains why a spirit is drawn to certain people. Rich suggests that there are reasons as to why some people experience more supernatural events than others. A person that believes in an afterlife may be more likely to have these experiences. Quote, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing, end quote. Second, Rich states, quote, those that are sensitive to psychic gifts attract otherworldly forms to them due to their higher vibrations and connection to the other side of the veil, which separates the living and the not living. These are the sensitives, mostly are clairvoyant, which might give them the ability to see spirits or get flashes of images in their minds. Then there are clairsentients who feel the presence of a spirit. There are also clairaudience who hear a ghost speaking or moving. A psychic medium is another attractor who makes contact with the spirit and delivers its message to another person. Third, fear is a magnet. Entities are attracted to fear, sometimes for fun and sometimes to feed off that energy. Next, we have children. Children are pure and more open to the unknown. Of course, we also have those that deal with the occult, Ouija boards and such. Those that mess with things they don't understand are sending an open invitation for visitors. Then we have spirits that are there to comfort the living. When a living person is going through hard times, there might be a relative that wants to comfort them. Rich says that some spirits are simply looking for comfort and reliving physical aspects of life. Others don't realize they have passed so they randomly attach themselves to those still living. Rich says there are even cases where an entity attaches to a person, giving that person abilities they did not have before, such as writing, drawing, or creating music. 
These attachments can be ongoing or short-term, and they can affect the living physically and mentally. Lastly, those with a history of substance abuse might draw entities to them. Rich states, quote, addictions have a high negative energetic field and a ghost who is familiar with that energetic pattern will sometimes choose to live vicariously through the person who is dealing with those addictions. Now that we have a little knowledge from both sides of the fence, let's dive into the stories. Our first story comes from Redditor Ezekiel Callistos. In the month of February 2019, coming back from a food run at around 9 p.m. in the middle of the week. I was driving my two friends back to their houses, and I was driving very slowly, I might add, because I was reluctant to get myself home after dropping them off because I didn't want the day to end. So we just hit the road, and not any less than three minutes later, we all witnessed the bottom half of a transparent apparition run past my fog lights and instantaneously disappear as if a TV screen was turned off as soon as it hit the sidewalk. I immediately stopped my car. There was no traffic, no people on that dark street. I looked around the spot where the figure disappeared to see if it was just a person. Despite knowing in that moment that there was no way it was a person because of what I saw. And what I saw that day was engraved into my memory even till this day. It was a transparent pair of legs and a bit of lower torso, which had an ethereal, white, misty glow to them. My car lights shone through them, which I supposed made it glow in a way that it looked like it was refracting light in some way. It was seriously out of this world. That said, after aggressively looking around to confirm it was a person, and then not seeing anyone, I asked my friends if they saw what I saw. My friend in the back seat said yes, and I asked him to describe to me what exactly he saw to make sure it wasn't just me, and that I wasn't crazy. He confirmed exactly what I saw. Whereas my friend in the passenger seat, having an uncharacteristic serious look on his face, took a second to respond, but when he did, he just said he was dozing off and didn't see anything. But months later, he eventually admitted he saw the same thing we saw and was too afraid to talk about it that day. None of us were under the influence of any kind at the time. No exposures to any gases that we know of. There's just no denying what we saw. We all saw the same exact thing. I don't know why exactly we were the ones to see it, but I think one thing is general more openness to things. At least myself and my friend in the back seat, mostly me, we're more open to unconventional beliefs. Maybe that's why we all saw that. That said, till this day, I'm very happy to have had that experience as it has had some major influence in my belief system and my suspicions. The other friend who denied seeing it doesn't like to talk about it. My other friend in the back seat and myself bring it up from time to time. Our next two stories come from Redditor The-Changeling. These stories show how a person can be haunted. Entities are drawn to them. These stories are in response to someone asking Redditors if they've ever lived in a haunted house. The Changeling responded, I have lived in too many to count. 
I think I'm sensitive. So whether the actual grounds were haunted to begin with, or if I drew them out of the woodwork slash was followed by something, can be hard to suss out. But once they've made their presence known, they can be difficult to get rid of. Thankfully, most of them aren't something I feel the need to get rid of. I know the place I'm currently living in is, or was, haunted, but I haven't seen the aforementioned spirit in some years. I used to have dreams of him and his tiny one-room cabin, which apparently stood in our backyard where our tool shed is now, according to my dreams. But I also used to have false awakening dreams, where I'd get up to go to the bathroom and all of a sudden there's a man standing behind the couch in the family room, and I thought I was going to shit myself, only to wake up and realize it had been a dream. This happened for some time, and it was always roughly the same. Get up, go to the bathroom, turn the corner to see a man standing behind the couch, freak the F out, and then wake up. Then one night, I had a dream. It's hard to explain some of the symbolism, but it started with me walking out into my backyard in modern times. I looked up to see crows circling overhead. More and more of them joined until there were hundreds of them and they were swooping down around me like a tornado of black feathers. Then they started to land in the trees, on the deck, on the ground, and as the tornado of feathers subsided, I could see that there was a man standing in front of me, Native American, older 50s maybe, and the scenery looked different. I could tell I was in the same spot, but instead of my house and my backyard, we were surrounded by pine trees. The area where my house is would have been pines before it was developed, so that makes sense. And he was standing out in front of this tiny log cabin, and he was crying. And I was told a story. It was told to me by the seemingly disembodied third-person narrator with a woman's voice, maybe my own internal voice. I was told he was banished from his tribe for practicing black magic. I never found out what that meant. So he went and built a log cabin in the woods where he lived for some years until one day this white man comes along. And the white man tells him, I just bought this property and you have to leave. And my dude is like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I see the white man pull out a piece of paper, wave it in front of his face saying something along the lines of, this means I own this dum-dum and you have to leave. And my dude says, over my dead body. So the white dude says, okay, comes back the next day with a gun and shoots him in the head. The last thing the native man said to me in my dream was, my bones are still here. I woke up, not sure what the fuck I was supposed to do about that. Not about to go digging holes in the backyard because some dream man tells me his bones are here. A few months go by and I had another false awakening dream. In this one, I woke up and decided to go to the garage to have a cigarette. I walked up the stairs, turned on the garage light, and opened the door. And just as I walked out and was about to close the door behind me, I hear the threshold creak, like there's someone stepping on it. I turn around, and there's this same man. I stumbled back, not sure what was going on. And he walks out into the garage and says, I have something to show you. I had a feeling what he wanted to show me where his body was buried. So I said, okay. Our feet lifted off the ground and we started floating to the ceiling. 
As we floated through the ceiling, I could see the tree line behind our backyard. I was floating over the house and we were going somewhere, but I woke up before I could reach our destination. I never heard from him after that. I never found out where he was buried or any indication of who he was. I have lived in a haunted place previously though, where I actually found the girl who was haunting me based on her name and an apparition I had seen of her. I came to find out she had been killed by her ex less than half a mile where I was living in a murder-suicide. I can tell the story too if anyone else is interested. One Redditor responded to that and he said, wow, that's a fascinating story. That poor guy couldn't catch a break. How did you figure out the identity of the second one? And the changeling continued with, well, I suppose I'll just tell the whole story. I apologize in advance if this is too long. I was living in an apartment on my college campus, the first place I had ever lived alone without a roommate or family. I was prescribed Adderall at the time, which was having some strange side effects on me. I was having trouble sleeping and having trouble eating. I would stay awake for days sometimes until eventually my body would fall asleep without me, causing a resurgence in the sleep paralysis I've had periodically since I was little. I became so scared of this happening and scared of the nighttime in general that I took to staying up all night, going to class and then sleeping through the evening. I came home one day exhausted and decided to meditate. I had my apartment set up like a studio, even though I had a bedroom, because I didn't have much furniture. So my bed was facing the kitchen with the wall in front of the fridge, and that led to the hallway where the bathroom and bedroom was. I laid back in my bed, propped up against some pillows, and started to meditate. I could feel myself dozing off when all of a sudden there was a scream. It was loud. I thought it was in my apartment, and I sat up and the screaming stopped but there was this ringing. It was deafening. I was afraid something was about to explode. I was trying to pinpoint where it was coming from and it sounded like it was coming from the fridge area. So I'm staring at the wall in front of the fridge like, what? And all of a sudden it stops. I just kind of shrugged like I must have dozed off and laid back again but it was like, as soon as I laid back, there was this voice, but I kind of wasn't sure of it at first, like it started out far away, quiet, and it kept getting closer and louder every time. And it was a woman repeating, why won't you look at me? Why won't you listen to me? I know you can see me. I know you can hear me. Why won't you look at me? Why won't you listen to me? Why won't you look at me? Why won't you look at me? And finally I hear, look at me. And I opened my eyes and for a split second, there was a woman standing in front of that wall where the fridge was. And it was only a second and she was gone. But it was like an after image burned into my eyes. I tried to remember as much detail as possible. She was a young woman, maybe 19 or 20. She had dishwater brown straightened hair with chunky blonde highlights looked like she was wearing a gap type hoodie and bootcut jeans. Late 90s, early 2000s ghosts, either way I wrote it off. Until I started getting screamed at while I was trying to fall asleep at night. I remember one night being just on the verge of sleep when all of a sudden I hear this woman behind me go, what the hell? 
After about the third or fourth time of this, I had had enough. So I sat up in bed, and I'm talking to an empty room. And I said something along the lines of, you need to stop doing this. I don't even know who you are, first of all. Maybe a name would be helpful. And then I said, second of all, stop screaming at me. I told her, wait till tomorrow night. Wait till I'm just on the verge of sleep. Then you can come to me and quietly tell me your name. And then maybe I can figure out who you are. Swear to God, it was the next night. I was just on the verge of sleep, facing with my back to the room. I felt something walk up behind me, lean over me, and whisper the name, Marcy. I changed the name due to the nature of this story. Honestly, I just wrote it off and fell asleep. But the next morning, I couldn't stop thinking about it. The name kept repeating in my head, Marcy, Marcy. Who the fuck is Marcy? And so I got online. I had my computer hooked up to the TV for some reason and started searching funeral home records, obituaries, looking for anyone with the same name, looking for anyone with the name Marcy. But they were all like little old ladies who died in nursing homes and none of them were her. Finally, I gave up and literally just typed Marcy, my city name, dead into Google. The first page that popped up was titled Remembering Marcy. I clicked on it, a picture popped up. I felt like I was about to crawl out of my own skin. This was the woman who I saw standing in my apartment. She was 19 years old in 1999 when she was murdered. In the picture, she had long straightened hair with chunky blonde highlights, a hoodie and boot cut jeans. Turns out she was murdered less than half a mile from where I was living at the time on a different college campus by an ex-boyfriend in a murder-suicide. I never heard from her again after that. It just stopped. Part 2. Places Let's get into a couple haunted places. I chose two locations, the United States Military Academy at West Point and the Empress of Little Rock Bed and Breakfast in Central Arkansas. When I came across the army.mil site that said West Point was haunted, I was stoked. My husband went to West Point, so I couldn't wait to tell him his school was haunted. Of course, when I did, he said he already knew. Why hadn't he mentioned this to his paranormal obsessed wife before? <sighs> so on the site, Michelle Snyder tells us about some encounters on the West Point grounds. The first is inspired from Lieutenant Colonel Timothy R. O'Neill's book, Shades of Grey. Story one, room 4714 and the pusher. In October, 1972, at 2 a.m. in room 4714 of the North Barracks 47th Division, two cadets were sleeping. Apparently, one of the cadets was awoken and saw an apparition of a soldier. When the cadet screamed, the soldier vanished. The second cadet awoke to a room cold as ice. The cadet that saw the apparition described the soldier and said he was wearing a uniform from the 1830s. He had a musket, 
a Shaco hat, and a handlebar mustache. Quote, the ghost earned his nickname, The Pusher, because his ice-cold presence forced other victims to lay immobile until the pressure of his hazy, glowing physique disappeared. End quote. Later, the New York Times would report a second appearance by the pusher in a place known as the Bureau. The spirit had walked among a group of cadets. There have been reports of the pusher reappearing over the years, but he has not reappeared in his first known location. No accounts have been documented since 1972. Room 4714 has been converted to a study area and renamed Scott Barracks. Story 2. Quarters 100, Molly and Greer. Schneider points out that it's been over 217 years since West Point opened its doors as an army institution of higher learning. You can imagine the amount of history the grounds have seen. The superintendent's house is known as Quarters 100. It is said that there have been numerous spirits visit Quarters 100, but there are two spirits that seem to permanently reside there. In 1972, former superintendent, Lieutenant General William A. Knowlton invited the famous clairvoyants, Ed and Lorraine Warren, to investigate and perform a seance at the house. As Lorraine expressed her psychic impressions of the spirits she found throughout the house, the superintendent wrote them down. He requested that the librarian he requested that the librarian search West Point archives to see if what Lorraine said matched recorded history. Lorraine described a woman who could be the ghost named Molly, an Irish cook who served Sylvanus Thayer. <laughs> and I wrote a side note. Um, the name Sylvanus Thayer sounds like a character from Harry Potter. <laughs> And West Point sort of resembles Hogwarts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Molly is known to rumple bed linens and knock wine bottles to the floor in the kitchen. Lorraine stated, quote, She is not old, very domineering, athletically inclined, and really not quite a lady. I get the feeling of no man. If she had a husband, he was dominated while at home. People that have worked in Quarters 100 have stated that Molly seems good-natured and playful and that she, that she means no harm. Lorraine also mentioned the presence of an African-American man named Greer. She said Greer was the one responsible for moving objects in the house. An example of these moving objects was given, quote, when the former superintendent of the Coast Guard Academy and his wife stayed at the house as guests, they woke up early in the morning and found a wallet that belonged to another occupant in the home carefully placed between them in bed, End quote. Lorraine said that Greer was tall, thin, and wore a gray uniform. She said that he held the position of orderly to the superintendent. She said he feels immense guilt because he committed murder. Superintendent Lieutenant General William A. Knowlton received a response from the librarian that was looking into the West Point archives. Documented evidence was found of several men that fit the description, but one in particular stood out. 
chief of USMA archives, Stanley Tuzeski, said, quote, General prisoner Lawrence Greer was definitely black, formerly a private in Troop C, 9th Cavalry. He escaped from confinement at Fort Leavenworth in June of 1931 and was apprehended the following April near Albany, New York. He was brought to West Point and court-martialed for his escape and subsequent desertion. Found guilty, he was sentenced to two and a half years of hard labor. However, the sentence was disapproved by command of Major General Connor because the prisoner was judged insane at the time of his trial. We have no record of what happened to Private Greer after these events, end quote. Story three, quarters 107B and the lady. Email correspondence between several former cadets and the Association of Graduates tells of a spirit called the lady that resides at quarters 107B on Professor's Row, a home overlooking the Hudson River. Once a professor and his wife lived at quarters 107B. In the 1920s, the professor's wife became fatally ill. The wife's mother came to help care for her daughter in the home. The professor was attracted to his mother-in-law and the feelings were mutual. They fell in love and the professor's wife was devastated. She made her husband vow that after her death, he would not marry her mother. However, that vow was not kept and the professor and his mother-in-law were married shortly after his first wife's passing. Naturally, that pissed off the wife and paranormal activity has occurred since. In this article, Schneider states, quote, it was reported that items were thrown and turned upside down. A clock that was frozen for years abruptly chimed to life and a former tenant said they heard horrendous sounds in the night like someone riding a big wheel across the wooden floor overhead. The haunting was so frequent, the post engineer had to seal the ghost's room off at one point because she scared people out of it. But the room was eventually reopened in the 1950s, end quote. So how did the spirit of the professor's wife get her name? She got it from an eight-year-old girl. The little girl was the daughter of a graduate from the class of 1960. The family lived in that home from 1971 to 1975. The eight-year-old and her little sister stayed in the wife's bedroom. On multiple occasions, her parents were awoken by the sound of their daughter conversating with someone. When the parents would check on her, they found no one else there. They would ask her who she was talking to. She only responded, the lady. Schneider ends this article with, quote, aside from West Point's most famous spirits, there were reports of other paranormal activity throughout the installation. An extra head in a cadet's group photo peered in from a MacArthur barracks window. Frightened pets barked at nothing in officer's quarters. A cleaner on the night crew quit his job after being thrown by a malevolent spirit in building 606, end quote. Schneider asks that if you have had personal experiences during your time at West Point and would like to share them for future publication, email her at michelle.schneider at westpoint.edu. After reading these stories, I asked my husband if he had anything paranormal happen to him during his time at West Point. <laughs> 
He did not, but he did tell me something. He said that there is a barracks that used to be an old hospital. He couldn't remember which one. He thinks it is either Eisenhower Hall or Lee Barracks. My husband once overheard a cadet saying he was woken up there in the middle of the night to what felt like sleep paralysis. He felt like there was somebody pushing on his chest. When he tried to get up, he couldn't. When he could move again, he freaked out and ran to the door. When he opened the door, he saw a white flowing figure walking down the hall. He said it reminded him of an old nurse's uniform. My husband also told me that the superintendent's house has a servant's quarters from pre-Civil War days. The bed that's in the servant's quarters gets made every single day by the housekeeping staff. And by the end of each day, it always looks like there's been somebody sitting in it. My husband told me that you can actually take a tour of the school and see this. Now I want to quickly tell you about our second haunted place, the Empress of Little Rock Bed and Breakfast. Why did I pick this place? I saw it and I immediately thought, that's our next date night location. I cannot wait to book a room here for day night. <laughs> this bed and breakfast is also known as the Horny Brook Mansion. It is supposedly one of the most haunted places in Arkansas. The mansion had multiple purposes throughout time. It was a women's college, boarding house, nursing home, apartments, and now a bed and breakfast. It is believed that the former owner, Hornybrook, never left. He had died at age 49 while playing cards with friends. Strangely enough, Hornybrook had always thought he would die prematurely. He even had a death mask made for himself. And that mask still hangs in the hotel. It is said that the current owner was influenced by the spirit of Hornybrook to renovate the home to its current elegant status. There have been other spirits spotted in the bed and breakfast. The apparition of a maid has been standing in rooms on the second floor and vanishing into closets. There has also been a spirit seen wearing an old captain's uniform. If you stay at this bed and breakfast, you might hear footsteps through empty hallways and voices coming from empty rooms. Part three, things. We've now come to the part about haunted objects. What is a haunted object? Longhorn Paranormal says that, quote, haunted objects are typically objects that have become conduits or attractors of paranormal activity, phenomenon, or hauntings, end quote. What do you do if you have a haunted object? Longhorn Paranormal says that you have some options. You can keep the item and deal with it, or you can donate it to a museum, auction house, or antique store. Longhorn Paranormal also says, quote, if you feel the item should be dealt with by a paranormal team, we highly recommend contacting one. Longhorn Paranormal does take haunted items and stores them. The team has a transportation and securement system in place to deal effectively with haunted items. We keep them permanently in a secure location, end quote. They do have a link to contact them, and you can find that link on their website, longhornparanormal.com slash haunted objects. I found another way people seem to be getting rid of their haunted objects. eBay. 
Apparently, there is an endless supply of haunted objects on eBay. Do I believe all of these are truly haunted? Absolutely not. But surely there are one or two out there with some truth to them. I'm going to tell you about some of the craziest things found in the haunted section of eBay. The last one is actually still up for auction. The Anguished Man is one creepy looking painting. I'll include this picture as well as the photos of the other items on our Facebook page, Witchin and Winin. In this painting, you see what could be a portrait, only the person's coloring resembles burns or as, like they're burning almost. The eye sockets are empty and their empty mouth is wide open as if the person is screaming. The owners of the painting claim to have experienced odd things while it was in their possession. They heard footsteps and bird songs coming from nowhere, and doors would open and close by themselves. Next on the auction block, there is the Haunted Bra, size 32A. It's claimed to have belonged to a deceased woman that lived an adventurous life, partying until her untimely end. Supposedly, whoever wears the bra will have good luck in their romantic life. It is also said that if someone places it by a white candle, the woman's spirit will appear. If a red candle is placed by the bra, the spirit will grant the owner an erotic encounter with the spirit world. Up next, we have the Jin Mask. That's D-J-I-N-N. The gin mask is our next haunted object. It is made of metal and looks somewhat like a monkey. Ad-lister.co.uk states, quote, The seller claimed to have visited Thailand and watched a supernatural battle as a witch used spells to bind the spirit of a gin to the mask, trapping it. The mask became packed with supernatural powers and anyone who owned it would reap the rewards. Not only would the gin mask supposedly fend off vampires, but it would bring great riches to anyone who treated it well. End quote. Apparently, this gin required offerings of food and drink, as well as the owner to meditate in front of it for 20 minutes, three times a day. I don't know what would happen if the owner didn't do these things, but man, that gin is one needy bitch. The last two items I found are my favorite. <laughs> One, because it's funny. The other, because it is so ridiculous and could have a smidgen of truth to it. The Ziploc bag. Rusty underscore raccoon was offering this up as a bag with the power to reverse time. Apparently, if you put your spoiled food inside, it would make it fresh again. What's more wild, the little baggie was said to have the power to heal people. Supposedly, if you take a lock of a person's hair and place it in the bag, the person would be healed through the power of another dimension. So does that make this bag magical, or is it some Easter egg in the Sims game we call life? A glitch in the matrix. We are down to our final object. Don't forget... There will be pics on our Facebook page. I'm recording this episode on April 29th, 2023. I found this eBay listing today. The bid closes in three days on Tuesday. I am going to read the listing to you as it is written. So eBay seller, you are welcome for the free commercial. <laughs> Patty, demon inhabited sorority sister, seance haunted clown doll, 
Poltergeist, $38, one bid. Item description from the seller, demon advisory. Patty's height is approximately 14 inches. Patty is porcelain and vintage. Her clothes are polyester fabrics. She has been called the angry demon doll by the sorority girls at University of Texas. Her reputation has kept Patty for the past 11 years as an initiation rite of new members. Part of their initiation involved a sister seance in which the spirits that channel through this doll have been awakened to test the will and courage of new sisters. Previously, there has been a new presence in the doll. The sisters say that during the last seance, something disgustingly wicked found its way to this doll. A newer sister wanted to enhance the session by adding blood magic to the summoning process. So instead of just lighting candles, holding hands and chanting to the doll, Sister Karen spilled her blood into a goblet, and the sisters all passed it around the table while taking small sips. They said that Sister Karen's blood had a twangy and sharp taste. So, during the seance, you can hear their stomachs growling and churning the blood. This must have opened up some sort of spiritual doorway. The sisters were all in a circle holding hands, so this must have opened a gateway portal to the other side. Sister Rodriguez was the lady who contacted me on the matter. She says that the doll has been satanically activated by paying currency to the devil. That currency is being blood, she believes, because they all swear that Patty's eyes began to glow and the sisters began coughing and choking and all had to puke up the blood. When they all began to vomit, it was like a domino effect going round the table. Sister Rodriguez believes that this upset the spirit because all of their chairs were pushed away from the table and the candles were blown out. Sister Rodriguez had a huge bruise across her cheek and I inquired if it was from the incident. She was afraid to talk about it because I later found out that she was afraid that I might not take the doll away if she was completely honest. She is the one who first grabbed Patty to try to put her away and end the frightening event. She says that when she grabbed Patty, a picture of Burt Reynolds flew off the wall and smacked her so hard that she was knocked out. This is when the rest of the girls ran out of the sorority house screaming. When campus security showed up, they had Sister Rodriguez flown by chopper to the trauma unit. Weeks later, the girls involved noticed that the event even threw off their cycles and made them all on the exact same ovulation periods. When I asked to view Patty, they said I would have to do it because none of them would even touch her again. They took me outside around the back of their sorority house. Patty was being kept in a kennel out there. The girls made me buy Patty with the kennel. They said I shouldn't leave Patty loose in my car while driving. I have detected electromagnetic frequencies with Patty and the more I try to read her frequencies, it seems to give her more power. The demon seems to be fueled by attention alone. After several sessions over two weeks time, Patty's activity stepped up a notch. Extreme nerve pain follows after handling this doll for too long. It was indeed the tips of my fingers. There's extreme paranormal activity coming from this doll. EMF meter readings are highly fluid and frequent. There have been no definitive time patterns detected and her EMF readings range in all randomness with spouts of completely nothing as well. Definite poltergeist classification. Patty is a swirling vortex or opening to some kind of spirit world or dimension.
temperature fluctuations are a must-see. When Patty's EMF is in the higher outputs, her temperature can be seen dropping very low. It's like a doorway is being opened. Things have come out. I keep feeling fingers brushing my cheek and neck, and I have been poked in the side of my hip a few times. Rather than escalating and fueling Patty into hurting me or worse, I have decided to leave her out in the shed until I ship her. I suggest that you have a secure place to keep Patty before you consider this purchase. There will be lots of tape on the box that I mail her in. This doll is not for children. It is not a toy. And if it isn't treated properly, it will get a hold of your ass and make you beg someone else to come get it. No returns. Serious bidders only. Good luck. God be with you. I'm required as per eBay's policy on the sale of paranormal items. This is sell for a tangible item only. No promise of spirit attachment. eBay requires me to say this for entertainment purposes only. And that is this week's show, everyone. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, follow, review, and share. Check out our Facebook to glimpse the images that go along with our episodes. If you have stories you'd like to share about anything supernatural, email us at witchinandwinen at gmail.com. That's W-I-T-C-H-N-A-N-D-W-I-N-E-N at gmail.com. Hopefully next week we'll have our resident witch back. Have a good day. And if it's nighttime, sweet dreams. Are you scared? Do you need me to hold your hand?